Hey y'all, welcome back to a Saturday, April 30th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Hope you guys have had a great start to your weekend thus far. A jam-packed show for you guys today on this Saturday edition. Uh, I've got Go Be Garn Friday. Oh yeah, we're back. Uh, per usual uh, at this time with Mr. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider and Ethan Stone of the UTK Daily Beacon. Uh, we talked Tennessee baseball, basketball, Justin Powell being in the portal, uh, Tennessee's big baseball series with Auburn this weekend, and uh, Aaron Willis entering the portal for the Vols football team. So all that and more with those guys. And then we get into the Atlanta sports guys. Oh yeah, Atlanta sports guys, uh, Max Markovich and Garrett Chapman to talk all things Hawks and uh, Falcons on this edition. The Falcons take uh, Drake London first and in the first round. We talk about that. We spent a lot of time on the Hawks, what's staring them in the face this summer. Donovan Mitchell, uh, Trey's performance in the series, all that and more at the Atlanta Sports Guys. And then uh, a special guest to talk all things Bengals. This was, uh, this was a cool thing that, um, yeah, so we have not been able to do yet, but... Uh, got into some Bengals stuff because I'm a big Joe Burrow guy, as everyone knows here on the podcast. So to talk about the Bengals and where they go after uh, making the, a surprise Super Bowl run this past year. Uh, so we we talked to SI's uh, Cincinnati Bengals reporter, Nicole uh, Zimbrope, and we talked about, like I said, all things Bengals, Burrow, uh, Dax, their first round pick. Um, where they're going to go the rest of the draft. It's going to be defensive heavy, that sort of thing. Um, if T. Higgins is long for this team based on all the wide receiver movement and just his upside, uh, where the offensive line is in Cincinnati, all that and more uh, with Nicole. And that was a lot of fun. So I appreciate her coming on this very pro- uh, program. Uh, Sports Renaissance Man. Yeah, don't forget, if you have not already subscribed, go ahead and hit up Sports Renaissance Man. All my writing is there. SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. Type in your email. That's simple. Uh, also, we're on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Every episode has a video component. So go ahead and watch those. And we have clips and all kinds of other good stuff over on the YouTube channel. YouTube.com. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Right there. That easy. That simple. Go ahead and check that out today. Uh, I think that's I think that's just about everything. Uh Follow me on Twitter. Oh, that was another thing. Okay. Very quickly. My official Twitter, personal Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is, was hacked on Thursday. I'm still trying to get it back. Hopefully, I get it back soon. So, Chase underscore Thomas is not really useful at the moment. Hopefully, it gets back. But uh, I've pivoted to the, the show page. So, it's not a big deal there. But if you have not already, go ahead and follow me at podchasethomas on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's where you'll find all my stuff uh for the foreseeable future until i get my account back but fingers crossed that happens sooner rather than later um uh, like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and then of course email me if you have any mailbag questions anything any questions about the show anything like that chase thomas podcast at gmail.com all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right, go big orange Friday. We're back. Uh, red. I didn't get the red memo, so we got Ryan Shempert in a red sweater. We got Ethan Stone in a red T-shirt, and we've got myself in a Texas Forever. Shout out to Friday Night Lights. Great T-shirt. So I didn't get the memo. I got a little bit of red. I got the Mississippi Braves hat going, so I've got some uh, some red in. But Ryan, Ethan, how are you guys doing? 
Doing well. Yeah, we had a, before you'd hopped in here, we were joking about how we were we were matching, but y'all both have the gray hats going on. So mm-hmm. Ethan's really the one who's got it figured out uh, with both of us. I'm you and I are on on the outside looking in. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but Ryan, I'm mad of... you brought that. I'm 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 mad you brought that up. That's what I was gonna say. We me and Chase have <laughs> the have the silver thing going, and like he said, he's got some red going too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you guys might not be able to see it, but yeah, it's it's a nice color combo thing we got going on today. I really dig it. Very good color combo. Um, well, we've got some Tennessee stuff that we need to hit on uh, on this very podcast. So I want to start with basketball because Justin Powell entered the portal. Uh, BHH announced that he transferred to Louisville, which I think out of the list of uh, potential options, that made the most sense for him and probably the highest upside with Kenny Payne there. And um, it's just, it didn't hurt as much going to Louisville and joining up with Kenny Payne. It's like, that's, that, it is what it is. But if it had been one of the smaller ones, you're like, oh, this is bleak. Um, but Justin Powell now also in the portal. Uh, we don't know for sure. He might come back. We still, it's always still a possibility, but he had a very up and down, <laughs> I think safe to say first year in Knoxville after transferring from Auburn. Uh, Ethan, what uh, what did you make of Powell entering the portal? And were you surprised? I was surprised. It it kind of went back and forth, I guess, because at, at the very end of the year, when I didn't realize that he would have had to sit out a year, I was like, yeah, he's definitely transferring. And then mm-hmm. I realized that he has to sit out a year. And you're like, well, it wouldn't make any sense. Like Victor Bailey's leaving by all, you know, if, if, if things go as they're supposed to, I guess, in his mind, in a, in a perfect world then he'd get more time. But obviously Tyreek, he transfers in. He's going to be, I think, a similar role to what Victor Bailey was, probably for this team, a lot of offense, maybe not so much defense. And that was Justin Powell's problem the entire year, I feel like, is, is defensively. Barnes said he wasn't really locking in on the defensive end. But I, with Victor Bailey leaving, with Tyreek coming in, even even if you know they're going to compete for those minutes, I don't see much sense just because he would have to sit out anyway, mm. um, unless he goes down a division and – I don't know for a guy like that that I think that I saw seem likely. Yeah, for for a guy like that, I, I don't think he would he would do that. I would think he would just stay at Tennessee and he'd probably see an uptick in minutes at least a little bit. I would think with Victor Bailey being gone, at least being a little more trusted in the system. But you know, who am I to know? Who is Justin Powell to know? I guess. But he seems to have made that decision. And I mean, like you said, there's a possibility he can come back, but I, I would doubt it personally. He seems to be set on it. So, what do you think, Ryan? Yeah, Ethan and I uh, texted at length about this and kind of just the, the college basketball landscape as a whole on Wednesday night. And of all the Tennessee's transfers, this is the one that I really – it just doesn't – it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, while I, I don't think maybe – think that decision was the right one, I can wrap my head around how he got to that point, how that decision was made, that he wanted a, a guarantee of a lot of minutes a game and he wants to go to the NBA after next season. Mm-hmm. But it was Justin Powell – this doesn't add up to me, and I think I would go a step further from what you said, uh, up and down season. I would call it a disappointing season. And uh, Ethan mentioned the defense, and that's right, but I think what made it so disappointing is it seemed like he was so focused on not making mistakes on the defensive end that he just played so timid offensively. And his greatest skill set is his ability to shoot and his ability to score. And when he was out there afraid to shoot the ball in January and February, there was no reason for him to be on the court. Uh, but with all that said, I still think his skill set's really good. I think he's a really good shooter. I think he's talented. I think he's a guy that can help Tennessee down the road. And while there's maybe not a path to him being a starter next season, unless Santiago Vescovi or Josiah Jordan James surprise and stay in the NBA draft, there's a pretty 
clear-cut path to the playing time. I mean, Tyreek Key should not be so intimidating to you that you have to transfer, in my opinion. And like mm. Ethan said, I see Tyreek Key in the Victor Bailey mold. And it, frankly, if, if Powell wasn't so scared to shoot, he would have played a lot more minutes uh, than Victor Bailey did last season. So, And Tennessee loses another point guard in Kennedy – or another guard in Kennedy Chandler, obviously a point guard. Powell is not a ball handler, but there's more minutes open in the backcourt. And then when you look two years down the road, there's t- when he's probably not only first going to be eligible to play with him transferring unless he goes down, like y'all said. Vescovy's gone then. James is gone then. Obviously, the nature of college basketball at Tennessee is going to bring in good players to compete, but it's going to be wide open for him to have that chance to have a starting role and play 25, 30 minutes a game, which is imagine I imagine what he wants. So it doesn't add up to me. Uh, the one thing I had heard is a possibility is maybe going overseas, Australia was somewhere mm. I'd heard and playing professionally. Um, but Really, every every situation he has, go play overseas. I, I would think he should be trying to get his degree, uh, not to say he can't play in the NBA, but I don't think he's a surefire NBA guy. Transferring down doesn't seem to add up. Sitting out a year doesn't seem to add up when you look at what Tennessee's roster in depth chart looks like for that 2024 season or 2023-24 season. So confusing, befuddling to me, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's the end of the world for Tennessee. It's just not a... Not a decision that I think added up on Justin Powell's part, and uh, someone who who still had some belief in him and, and thought he could help the Tennessee basketball program was, was surprising to see. It is odd. Like I guess the the that would be the most logical because I just don't understand why he want to sit out after the kind of year he just had. Sit out another year and just really bank on one final great year somewhere. I don't know. Like I that doesn't seem likely to me. So I think the overseas part makes a lot of sense, but another body that Tennessee is really going to have to figure out like I'm more uh, he's not someone that I'm just going to lose sleep over I think Rick Barnes isn't going to lose sleep over losing him I think BHH is more not even an issue just because we still have a do and we still have some pretty solid depth uh, down low Kumwa comes back like I'm not as concerned about Hatfield being gone as I am just the guard depth so Collins who we talked about too and like whether or not he would come over he stays uh, which was a surprise, I think, to a lot of folks. But now you have Key. Like, what are what are the what are the odds that he is just like a vocal point next year? That Key is actually going to be someone that Vols fans should be prepared to be a leader, lead playmaker, and just have a very expansive role right away in Knoxville, Ryan. I think it just depends on what Tennessee is able to do in the transfer portal, and, and probably to a lesser degree to prep ranks going forward. Uh, Tyrese Hunter, to Iowa State transfer big 12 freshman of the year is supposed to be on campus this weekend if you hmm. land a guy like that i think tyreek key's role probably doesn't change much from what we said uh, similar to victor bailey's but if you don't uh, land a top-notch guard transfer then he's going to have a chance to, to be really your main guard coming off the bench next season and i don't really see a, a path to him starting but to a path to him playing 20 minutes a game i think uh, that's possible if tennessee kind of continues to swing and miss on some guys in the portal so and I think that's where Collins uh, was just such a good fit for what Tennessee needed with his point guard, his passing, solid shooter. Uh, I think that is probably of all the you know blows or the guys that have transferred out, the guys you missed on in the transfer portal. I think that's the one that, that hurts the most for Tennessee right now. When you look at the portal and who else is out there and who else Tennessee makes sense for, is there any other name that stands out to you, Ethan? Tyrese Hunter is the interesting one that, that Ryan just said. I mean, he's he's got a heck of a list. I think he's, Gonzaga's on there, if, if I'm not mistaken, Auburn. 
whole bunch of guys like that. I'm blanking on names right now. Those those are pretty decent amount of guards. I, I feel mm. like that Princeton guy, what's his name, uh, the weigh-in, he, he might be, I guess, on, on, on the docket there. But Tyrese Hunter is the one that's most interesting to me just because, obviously, he's he's an elite prospect. I, I know people were talking about Imani Bates. I, I, I haven't heard anything different about that. I, I feel mm. like he's not a guard, obviously, but... Not really anything outside of Tyrese Hunter. It's it's kind of a, a wasteland thing. I feel like them missing on Brandon Murray and, and obviously missing on Yuri Collins, like Ryan said, that, that kind of, I think, threw them for a loop a little bit. Because when you don't get a guy like Collins and you put all your eggs in that one basket in the Collins basket, and then all of a sudden it shows up that you don't get them. And instead you're getting Tyree Key, who is a fantastic offensive player, struggles defensively, but fantastic offensive player that can give you a lot if – if that's really the only guy that you're looking at right now that you can say he can go out and score the basketball, I mean, you might be in a little bit of trouble. But obviously it's still a long offseason. Plenty of more people are going to enter the, enter the portal, and, and Tennessee's going to have a lot more chances in that aspect. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I don't think they're done, um, and I think we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, a lot of portal talk on this edition of Kobe Orange Friday here on the Chase Owens Podcast because we've got Aaron Willis who entered the portal today um, as we're recording this on a Friday. Um, I don't think this was a big shock. I think this was something, I mean, it's one of those where it's like, I mean, I don't think he was going to be another significant uh, piece in the linebacker rotation. It seems like uh, Brian G. Mary, uh, is it, how do you pronounce his name? What is it? Is it G. Murray? G. Murray. Okay. Yeah. Um, he it seems like the two linebackers set where we're going to play Beasley and uh, Banks is going to be the, the the thing going forward again this year and I think he probably just wants to play and he was also a Pruitt guy he came in for Pruitt and was one of Pruitt's big gets two classes ago and now he enters the porter and he'll probably go somewhere um smaller and get, maybe it's kind of like uh the situation what was the linebacker last year Church who ended up at Michigan State what was his name Crouch, and he's in Crouch, the transfer yeah. portal. Did you yeah, see that? Yeah. This morning he yeah. entered the portal. Crazy. Yeah, seemed to have a good he seemed like he had a good year at Michigan State. I was kind of I was surprised <laughs> to see that. I just the another portal, Justin man. Powell. What what you, I mean what, he's not gonna be eligible. What what's he gonna he's a senior. I mean he he has two years of eligibility, but that's I that's, it made me think of Justin Powell when I saw it where it's just like what are you gonna do? Where where is the grass greener at this point for you? But who knows? Best of luck to him. I just feel like now I think so many kids are putting themselves in the portal where like, did you see the Miami kid who was like, you either step up the NIL offer or I'm hitting the portal. Like, I wonder if that's what a lot of these kids are doing now too, where it's like, yeah, I had a great year at Michigan state, but it's less about the kind of year that I had and more like, can I get more money in NIL somewhere else? And if y'all aren't going to step up at Michigan state, I'm going to look elsewhere. And it's less, even if I, my production dips or whatever, it's just, I think there's going to be a lot of short-sighted thinking and that's just natural because these kids are super young and when you're that young, it's easy to get uh, sidetracked with stuff like that. And I just think we're going to see a lot of those crazy offers or promises that are being made or thrown at him. And then those promises might get pulled. Who knows? I, uh, I don't know the NCAA. We'll see. I think the one positive and we talked about on the full ride earlier this week was just that like as that damning report from Ross Dellinger on the changes, the radical changes that are coming in college football. One of the ones that stands out though, which I think is just going to be great is just that a three month window transfer window that changes so much. If we get a three month window and coaches can, 
I mean, not just for us, it would make our lives a lot easier to be able to keep up with everything and not have to worry about what rosters are looking like. And coaches having to lie through their teeth up until May 1st because they don't want to lose people um, up until then. It's like, a, it's a great battle. Like we're doing like those guys are neck and neck. I, I don't know which way I'm going to go, um, but we'll see. And then May 2nd. So we have our guy and um, he's going to be the starter this fall. It's like, they're just trying to I don't know. It's asking a lot for roster management purposes to keep everybody happy and to keep this thing moving. But uh, that will be if it, that happens sooner rather than later, that would be great. That and the recruiting calendar getting changed. Um, that is those are the two biggest things. And it seems like that's a possibility uh, with Emmert stepping down and what the I think they're called, what the transformation committee. Transformation um, committee yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty optimistic, actually, about what they're going to do um, in a multitude of ways. But we'll see. Um, where do you think Tennessee stands now, though, in terms of their linebacker depth? Or do we think they did back in the portal? Do you think that we saw enough from Beasley and Banks last year um, that they'll be fine at least for one more year? Or uh, I don't know. Where where are you at with the linebacker situation now that Willis is gone, Ethan? I mean, I would say you have to go back in the portal. Uh, mm. It's It's not like Willis was some you know, monster player last year. If, if I'm not mistaken, he got one tackle in, in his in, in entirety of the year as, as as Pruitt's top signee. So you got guys like Banks that obviously has, has shown that he can get it done at that position. You got Jawan Mitchell still. I'm interested to see what he's going to do this season after obviously not really panning out coming from Texas um, in the season prior. But I would say you'd have to go to the portal, at least get one, one more just for a from a depth perspective. Um, you know, I can't exactly remember the guys that Tennessee got and linebacker just off the top of my head in the freshman class this season, but you kind of need that, I guess, experience, not necessarily even if Willis is just going to be a soft, was just going to be a sophomore this season, but having experience on the defensive end, especially one where that's not exactly Tennessee's strong suit right now with obviously the offense being what it is under Josh Eiffel. So I'll just reiterate what I said. I, I, I would say they would look to the portal to get at least one more. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Ultimately, I uh, I would agree with you. I think they're going to add somebody else. But it uh, so Casper obviously going to Oregon. He does not uh end up in Knoxville for this class with Nico. But part of that we wondered was like, oh, is that just because there's like an understanding that Carnell Tate is like very much in the fold, and Casper does want to come in with Tate and you know just worry about reps. And this is already a loaded wide receiver room in youth. Like we need more veteran depth more than anything else. And that's why we're talking about the Robinsons and the Brew McCoys of the world. Is that losing Peyton and Velas Jones was more of an issue. So it's just adding one more veteran guy because with Squirrel White and just uh, the amount of talent there um, that they just brought in Webb and company Miller that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really worried about the long-term future of the wide receiver room in Knoxville, but this is one of those big ones where it's like, oh, okay, um, Carnell Tate, it seems pretty likely now that uh, he's going to be a Tennessee volunteer, right, Ryan? It at least seems like it's trending in that direction more and more by, by the week, it feels like. It, it mm. seems like it's gone from you know Tennessee really second fiddle to Ohio State and Notre Dame to Tennessee and Ohio State really neck and neck coming out of his visit a couple weeks ago to now where kind of like you said it seems like Tennessee's the team to beat and I think he's going to come back on campus for the Memorial Day weekend they're having a big recruiting weekend so if you're able to get him back then and my understanding is he hasn't now he could have visits set up but he hasn't been anywhere he hasn't been back to Ohio State since his visit to Tennessee earlier this month Hmm. to me that continues to bode 
whenever you're these whenever recruits are visiting you back to back and there's no other visit in between that usually bodes pretty pretty well for for where you stand with them and and that seems to be be the case and it kind of seems like Tennessee's continuing to be more of a player uh, with the offensive tackle down uh, down there at IMG too. I'm I can't. Ma- Malibu, Francis Maui Malagoa Moigoa. I don't know. I don't know Your how to pronounce this one. Mine, but another one that that seems like Nico is working hard and Tennessee kind of continues to to trend in the right direction for. Where is he from originally? Because he's at IMG. It's not like he's from Florida. He trans. Do we know? Is he a West Coast guy like Nico? I'm not sure. It's a good question. I wouldn't think so. I feel like you don't get a lot of West Coast guys transferring to IMG. Oh, hold on. No, he is from uh, San Bernardino, California, and he transferred to IMG. So he went all the way from California to IMG. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> well, he's only right now. They've got Tennessee at 22% chance and 41% chance for uh, USC. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's an Oregon, of course. Are we just going to be competing with Oregon uh, for the foreseeable future? Is that just like our our thing? It's just everyone's just back and forth with Oregon and the West Coast guys that we want to bring in. I don't know. What a weird recruiting battle the Tennessee or team for Tennessee to seemingly just have tons of recruiting battles with. And yeah, uh, it's weird because I don't think none of none of them recently have been this. But like a few years ago, I can't even. They've had a lot of coaching turnover. It was either Cristobal or maybe. Before him, they recruited Tennessee pretty hard and yeah. got some guys out of Memphis, uh, Hugo Amadi out of Nashville. So it's kind of even going back a few years, and it's with the Tennessee guys, not the West Coast guys like it is now. But it seems like Tennessee and Oregon oddly find themselves going up against each other in recruiting. Well, not to go full uh, Walter White here, but stay out of our territory, uh, Dan Lanning. Um, just a subtle warning. Uh, let's end with baseball. So uh, Tennessee beat up on Xavier on Tuesday night. Uh, that was fun to watch and write about. I will say, Xavier, um, I hope they never win another baseball game this year. For the sole fact, the seven pitching changes that they made in this game was preposterous. Like, just take the L. Let someone just keep getting shelled and save your pitchers for the Big East tournament and all of that over the weekend because – them being allowed to just continually take these dudes out and extend this game because this was over a three-hour game. This game would not end. Yes, this was just nonsense. Like, can't have that. Like, we either need to have a mercy rule where it's like, if you're going to change that many pitchers, then guess what? Call the game. Can't do it. Won't allow it. I'm moving on with my night. Like, I was just... I looked at the clock because I... Usually, I'm my notes are, like, keep me occupied and I'm not really, like, thinking about the time. But this game, thought about the time a lot. And... Shout out to our guy Xander, who hops off the mound. He is ready to go. I wrote about this. This man is just like, get me out of here. Like, I got things to do. I'm the midweek guy. I've got other things on my plate. I am good. And Xavier had no interest. They were like, we're even going to get in a pickoff battle at second with Luke for a little bit and try and troll him. Like, what are we doing i needed that out so xavier shame on you shame on the xavier musketeers for that nonsense and the amount of pitchers they threw out and that's that's where i'm at i'm very uh, like we're all just as upset it was three and a half hour game for a tuesday i I got a i got a text i got a text from josh who's who's the guy that actually covers baseball for the beacon and it's it's like 10 30 10 45 at night Mm -hmm. I, i wasn't even aware baseball was happening and he's like that was the worst baseball game i've ever <laughs> I was like, can't say, can't say I'm a, I, I envy you right now. 
So that would be interesting. Yeah. I've covered a lot of midweek ba- baseball games in my four years at UT, and it's become—I mean, you're just—you're barking up my tree right now. It's become <laughs> a war that I fight. I am 100%. You need to have a run rule, which yes. we probably wouldn't even have got to in that game, which is the, which shows how bad these midweek games can sometimes get. But you're right, Xander—he set the tone. He was great. He went longest outing of the whole year. And so four pitches, three his, outs in the first inning. It was unbelievable. It was like, okay, this is this is fantastic. He is setting the tone to get this to be a quick midweek game. Yes. Frequently, you can have like 15 pitchers total using these midweek games, and it can be unbelievable. And the sixth inning is when everything hit the fan. Yes. Two outs. Charlie Taylor with his one, maybe two hits on the season at the plate. Yeah. A lazy fly Strong ball Strong right Kevon Smith vibes from last year's right, Braves team. <laughs> the right fielder can't find the ball. Mm-hmm. Eventually does find it. So it hits his glove. So brutal for Charlie Taylor. If yeah. you don't know the baseball fine rules, uh, if you if the outfielder can't find the ball and does not touch it, it counts as a hit. But mm. if they do touch it, it counts as an error, and it barely touches his glove. <laughs> so Charlie Taylor doesn't get that third hit of the season. And then after that, Xavier uh, goes on to make two pitching changes in that inning, and Tennessee scores like five more runs. And it was, I believe, a 37-minute half inning, uh, the bottom of the sixth inning was. And it would have been about 15, 16 minutes if – that guy just catches the fly ball in right field. So uh, he just lost it in the lights. Like it was one of those. Yes. It was a routine pop. It wasn't like a line shot or anything. It was just right up there. And I was like, oh, that's the end of the inning. Nope. And he just completely lost it. We scored two runs off of it. And then it just gave Tennessee more opportunities. Like the one thing about the middle of our lineup, because this was not a great. This is the Court and Lawson game where he had the two run dinger to left. And he he. That being said, he did cost uh, Xander his no no on a routine grounder to short, which I didn't understand why they re- counted that as a hit. That was, it was not a routine grounder to short. It was a, it, <laughs> it, was, it was a play that could have been made. It was hit in between the third baseman and the shortstop and a good throw. They probably would have had him. I, I am with you there, but it, it was, it, well, was it cost him the no, no, the whole it thing was, the um, yeah. which would have been great. Like we just could have gotten that thing going. Xander was down for it. If the way he was pitching in the pitch count, I don't know. I was I was here for it. But, like, what I was saying with the middle of the lineup, because the middle of the lineup sucked. Like, Jarrell struggled on Tuesday, and Beck was over 3. He was K, and he was just like, I'm chilling till Auburn. Drew Gilbert was even off a little bit early. And then the bottom finally falls out, where it's like you can only go through the Tennessee lineup so many times before, like, oh, the, the worst situation is if you're down big, and it's because of Cortland Lawson and Charlie Taylor. Like, that's when you're like, oh, we're in trouble, because Jordan Beck's not going 0 for 6. Like, you just keep putting him up there, and eventually he's going to break through, him and Gilbert and uh, Lipscomb. But, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I was a fan. Uh, it, 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 that part was great, and Beck obviously turned things around, and Ben Joyce is just a delight like the crowd perks up like these broadcasts are super quiet on the network and yes SEC network plus but like you can hear through your tv if you don't go to the games like just the crowd all just turn around and pay attention and just the oohs and ahs every time they look at the because you can see they're all all their heads turn to the the speed like they look to the scoreboard and see what that hits and it's just 102 and he he uh, went in for Xander immediately and gets two Ks, and then that's it. Never see him again. But Ben Joyce, an absolute delight. The flamethrower is 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 pretty great. But that that's the extent of uh, the Tennessee Xavier uh, game that nobody should watch ever. Like you can go watch a replay. Don't do it. It uh, it was it needs to be lost in the archives forever. 
Yeah, it was a very boring game. Extremely boring game. So, you're right. Ben Joyce is probably – Ben Joyce is like – he's pitching in like all these midweek games just to mm-hmm. get him reps because he hasn't had many going into the season. And it's like these midweek games, a lot of times they're pretty boring and you're working on other stuff while watching them. And it's like, okay, Ben Joyce is in. Close your laptop. Mm-hmm. Go up to the, the – scoot up on your seat and you're paying attention to literally every single pitch. It's absolutely electric. It's usually the best part of any midweek game is yes. the inning Ben Joyce gives. They need some kind of sound effects or they need something to like, they need to dim the lights. We need like something, we need to really go all out in the midweek Ben Joyce appearances where they need to do something. Like, I don't know which booster they need to hit up, but they need to do it, dim the lights and just like inner Sandman when he comes in or something. (laughs) They need something with this man. Just a spotlight on him with all the lights off as he runs Did you say only? Did you say only in the midweek games? Just yes. just to put they a little more fear into them. Just correct. <laughs> like you guys need to be terrified of this man. <laughs> exactly. Like it just makes the smaller schools, the Xavier's of the world, feel horrible. Where they're like, oh, what? Why do we play these games? Like we just got the Terminator coming out here for a little bit. Um, yeah, no, I think the midweek games deserve it because if you are a person who's out here going to these Tuesday night games, God bless you. You're wasting your time. Don't do it. There's all kinds of other stuff, but. Um. Yeah, they need something. They need just to add more stuff. And look, as the sports are in Knoxville, um, reach out to me, uh, Danny. We can make this happen. I can figure this out, and we can make these Tuesday night uh, baseball games great again. Uh, in terms of Auburn this weekend, what uh, what are the expectations? Auburn's ranked uh, not quite Arkansas. Arkansas is in top five. Auburn's what nineteenth coming into this weekend. Uh, what are we expecting? Uh, Ethan, do you think this is a, another sweep? We just conditioned a Tennessee just winning every SEC game now. Um, that's just part of the deal. Uh, so it's just, we're going to be surprised or stunned at any loss going forward. But, um, do you think at the very least that Tennessee should be in good shape to, to run the gauntlet? And it seems like this is when Blade, uh, gets a little bit more action. It seems like Vitello was hinting at more and more for, for Mr. Tidwell this week. What do you think? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan, I think I saw your thing that he was going to be starting for just the second time this season, mm-hmm. um, obviously against Auburn. And you kind of stole what I was going to say. It seems like Tennessee's just never going to lose an SEC series, like SEC series ever again. And, you know, if it's going to stop, it would be with Auburn. I, I know they've won four of their last five. That's about my extent of my knowledge of Auburn baseball right now. I know they have win a series win over Vanderbilt, I think LSU. So they're coming in hot right now. I know that. Um, but it's just going to go back to what you said. I don't think Tennessee's ever going to lose an SEC series again until maybe they play Mississippi State at the end of the season. As of right now, I would say Tennessee would probably go in at home. They're going to win two of them at least. I don't. Mississippi State's having a bad year. Like I don't. I'm not as worried about Mississippi State. Like I think the last trap game series is Georgia at home. Well, that's that what. That's what when you looked at the schedule before the season, and it was like, well. They're going to lose some to speak some mm. series because the road schedule is so hard this year and mm. the home schedule is not much, which is kind of flip flopping last year. But then Ole Miss is huge disappointment. Mississippi State's a huge disappointment, I would say, too. Vanderbilt isn't as good as they usually are. And then, kind of on the reverse, Auburn and Georgia have really overachieved and, and to me, have been as good as anybody in the league behind Tennessee and Arkansas. So, uh, the you really thought the really hard series were going to be on the road, which was going to make it natural they were going to lose some, and it's kind of flipped itself. Auburn and Georgia, last two home series in a regular season, and uh, I think those are is well, definitely down the stretch, those are their two hardest series, and I think you can argue probably two with, uh, with Vanderbilt, two of the three hardest series in the regular or in SEC play. So uh, 
when you get them at home, I think with this Tennessee team, no matter where it's at, you're probably going to pick them to win the series. But I think when you get those two series at home, it's hard not to lean towards Tennessee getting the sweep. I wouldn't be you know, shocked if they dropped one because uh, Auburn does have a good team. And it is interesting. You know, you kind of hear this theory you know, a lot in the baseball world that, you know, typically you have your best guy on Friday, then your next best on Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday, you're progressively worse. And it's kind of like, if you don't have the best team, you know, why don't you manipulate that a little bit? And that's kind of what Auburn's done this year. Their best starter, Jacob Gonzalez, pitches on Sunday for him. And uh, I'm really, really excited to watch Drew Beam uh, versus him on the mound on Sunday. That should be that should be what you typically think of as an SEC Friday night pitching matchup uh, on the Sunday series finale. So I'm looking forward to that game. Yeah. And folks in Knoxville, don't go. Uh, I'm tired of the standing room only nonsense, uh, even with my free ticket and everything with the student thing. But I need you to drop that nonsense. We're getting too packed. Too many people are buying in. Uh, nothing to see here. Stay home. I, I want my space back. I want to uh, be able to uh, move around freely and have the usher stare at me as I bounce around and uh, I dare them. I'll look them in the eye, too. I'll be like, I dare you. Say something. Tell me to move. Tell me to move. I, You don't know who I am. Chase Thomas podcast. What are you doing? Show my idea. Like, what are you doing? You want? Do you want this smoke? Yeah. Um. I forgot what I was going to say. I don't, I just went on my soapbox and Ryan was like, I'm out of this, but Ryan says, I'm sick of, of I'm sick of chase talking right now. <laughs> he, he says, I'm I leaving. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was even, I had a great final bit too. I had a great final bit about Mississippi because Ole Miss and Mississippi state, Ethan had to die for Southern Miss to rise. Like they're a top five <clears> team. Like they had to, they had to die. There's Ryan. He's back. He, AirPods <laughs> died. AirPods died, the, had to make a, had to make a quick move to the wired headphones. He entered the portal and then pulled his name out of the portal. So thank you, Ryan, for for <laughs> doing your due diligence and thinking really about your options in the podcast market. But what I was saying as we wrap up here, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State had to die for Southern Miss to rise, and there can't be three great teams. I just love that Southern Miss is great. Shout out to Hattiesburg and the good folks over there. But uh, state of Mississippi, all kinds of great content and country. Pleasing sausage is on Knoxville Kroger shelves now, which I am like, I almost <laughs> hyperventilated and like fell over in the Kroger yesterday where friend of the pod, radio Wyatt, uh, Matt Wyatt, former Mississippi state quarterback, good friend of mine. He, uh, he, that's his thing. And like, it's a local butcher shop in Mississippi. And I've just heard nothing but great stuff. And I'm a big sausage guy. That's my favorite food is sausage, but I cannot have it all the time because that will kill you. And you can, I like just, you can't do a lot of red meat. So it's a lot of fish in my weekly diet. I do a lot of fish, but when I do red meat, sausage and bro had never had country pleasing yet. When I say country pleasing sausage is an absolute delight because I had a shit ass yesterday because my Twitter getting hacked and everything. And the one thing that made it all worth it was that country pleasing sausage that I had that night. Just electric stuff, electric stuff. I was just on cloud nine. I lost just where I was. I forgot it. Just everything. Uh, just the flavor overload was just mm, t- creme de la creme. All about it. I'd like to say, just as a collective, the, the mm. three of us had pretty, pretty awful Thursdays. I'd say. Oh no! I mean, what happened? With AJ, with AJ Brown, that, mm. that's Ryan's thing, and obviously your Twitter getting hacked, which I saw. Big unfortunate for you. And then, and then the Jazz just about made me 
lose my mind. So I, I had to go to bed and stop thinking about them all day. But it's just not a great Thursday, I think I should point out. Ryan's not well with the whole AJ no. Brown thing. He's still not well. Yeah. Well, it was like it, I was just so convinced the Titans were going to draft an offensive lineman, and I had done zero research on like which offensive lineman I wanted them to draft. So it was the most low-key draft night ever. I was literally in my room, had it on, was doing some work, and was actually was facing. I don't even. My laptop was plugged in. I was facing away from my TV, working on something, mm-hmm. and I heard him on the broadcast go. Some of you guys may be avoiding Twitter because of not wanting to hear your draft picks spoiled, which is exactly what I was doing. I hadn't gone on Twitter the whole time. And I turn around, and I see that the Titans are now on the clock, and I go, oh, gosh, this can't be good. <laughs> and it, in fact, was not good. It was, it was not good at all. And I got no work done the rest of the night. So <laughs> I didn't even open my laptop up again before going to bed. So it, I, I, am not, I am not well, but trying to choose joy on this big orange Friday. There you go. Choose joy. That's a great way of ending things. Uh, Ethan, what can the good folks check out from you and the, the rest of the team over at the Daily Beacon this week? Yes, the Daily Beacon obviously going to have coverage of, of Tennessee's series with Auburn. And then we've got On Rocky Top, which is just kind of a collection of the best moments of Tennessee sports and the past year and other stuff, uh, news, be it arts, all sorts of stuff from campus. So if you're on campus, pick one of those up. It'll be out, I believe, next week, maybe the week after that. There you go. Ryan, what about you and the good folks over there at Rocky Top Insider? Yeah, same. We'll have plenty of stuff from baseball this weekend, uh, some stuff on the basketball recruiting transfer portal front, have stuff on Tyrese Hunter, have stuff on Justin Phillips, who Tennessee made his top seven yesterday. I think it's their top target in the class of 2023. So plenty of stuff to kind of keep you up to date, stuff on all the, the transfers, both in the football and basketball program this week. So everything you need to know to keep you up to date on the balls. There you go. There you go. Ethan, Ryan, thank you as always for the time, and uh, I will talk to you both next week. Sounds great. Thanks. Nico! (laughs) All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast, where I am now joined by a first-timer with Dwight Schrute in the background and Cincinnati Bearcats basketball in the background. You might guess that the Cincinnati Bengals might come up on this podcast because all Cincy all the time with Nicole Zimbrot. There you go. Zimbrot. I did Zimbrot. Yeah, there you go. Zimbrot. Yes. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for being here. So night one of the draft is in the books. The Bengals obviously made a selection. Are you okay? Is Bengals Nation okay? Because it seemed like it was a surprise to a lot of folks. Bengals Nation is great with this pick. Okay. It first glance Daxton Hill is a safety out of Michigan Mm -hmm. but he's very versatile he can play safety he can play corner he can play just about anywhere in the defensive backfield he has a lot of athleticism his versatility range he can cover he can hit he is he's physical he's kind of everything you want in a safety Um, and then of course you look at who the team has now with Jesse Bates and Von Bell, but both of them have question marks too with Bates on the franchise tag, and who knows if Bates and the team are going to be able to get to that long-term deal, and then you have Von Bell going into his final year of his contract, so not necessarily the cornerback or the defensive lineman that many thought were going to come in that first-round pick at 31, but still a very solid pick. A lot of draft analysis had him in the top 20. Um, So really a steal at 31 for the Bengals. 
Big fan of the name. Daxon Hill just feels like a perennial pro, pro bowler. Like, yes, uh, he goes by Dax. Third, like that. So yeah. Dax Hill. Da- we'll remember Dax that name. Hill. I like that. Dax. Yeah. Um, so that's one area of need. So they add somebody there. So just in case, like Jesse Bates, we don't know what's going to happen after this year mm-hmm. with him. But um, in terms of round two and three, and we're recording this before day two gets kicked off here, the NFL draft, where do you think they go? What area, not player, but what area of need do you think they hit next? So in the second round, they pick 63rd, and then mm. in the third round, they pick 95th. So still, they've got time in between. They really do need to add another corner. Uh, they mm. have Cheeto Awuzier on the outside, and then Eli Apple. They really don't have anyone else on the outside, and of course, they have Mike Hilton in the slot. But really need to add that another corner to go into that room with them. And then they need to address the interior of the line Um I think if the guy can play uh, along all positions of the line, mm-hmm. great, but um, definitely defensive line too. So you got to, so it's going to be all defense all the time. So you think they're pretty much okay in there? Like, because the offensive line, they obviously spend a lot of money in free agency, which we'll get yeah. to in a second. But do you think that that is something they have just, they're like, hey, we'll probably take some flyers late in the draft on some offensive guys, but right now we've got to add more to the defense and that's got to be priority one well if you look at their past uh couple of off seasons they've really attacked free agency in defense Mm -hmm. and then added the guys in um offensively in the draft and this year they're kind of switching that up where they attacked free agency with those uh free agent signings on the offensive line and need to address some depth issues on defense um but not to say they still need to add another lineman, offensive lineman. They need to add a wide receiver. They need a fourth wide receiver, possibly a receiver who can return punts, return mm-hmm. kicks. Um, and a tight end. They did sign Hayden Hurst, uh, that, but some question marks behind Hurst and then Drew Sample, but he's more of a uh, blocking tight end. Um, So that's where I would see the rest of the draft uh, panning out for them. Enjoy Hayden Hurst. Um, That was uh, not the best experience in Atlanta. You know, when he came to Cincinnati, he Mm -hmm. was talking about how excited he was to finally feel like he could have the first full opportunity just because in Atlanta he had Pitts come on and then Mm -hmm. of course in Baltimore he had Mark Andrews come on and now it's going to be him in that room Mm -hmm. unless they do end up drafting someone who could potentially but I feel like that was a great signing for both sides where it gives Hurst the year to prove himself that he was that first round talent uh, when he was drafted, but then the Bengals too. If Hurst doesn't wor- work out, he just walks next year. Mm-hmm. Well, what is what's the impact of CJ moving on? Because it seemed like he was kind of like a heart and soul type guy for this Cincinnati Bengals team, and him just going through it where he's playing injured and was just super mm-hmm. down. And that what happened in the AFC title game really sucked for him. Yeah. But what uh, what where where does that uh, leave them in that regard? I think you hit it right on the head, heart and soul. He brought a lot of energy to that locker room. Um, but I I think, and he was a lot of like the nitty gritty on the offense, just did a lot of blocking. Um, really this year, even though he was very much into his career, was the year he broke out because he was able to be a uh, pass catcher in the offense. Um, 
But I don't know if, if exactly how much of a difference it's going to make depending on the impact that Hearst comes, um, brings into it. Um, I definitely think, I mean, that energy that he brought, the fans loved him, the team loved him. I mean, he was so great to do media with, all that. Like, he was the player that everybody wanted to have on their team. Um, so he's definitely going to be missed, but we'll see on the field just how much his impact is missed with him moving on to New York. Do you think they've addressed the offensive line enough for Joe Burrow to feel comfortable going into 2022? They've definitely addressed it enough that it is significantly better, but Mm -hmm. they still need to add some depth to it. Um, they need to address the left guard position. Um, We had um, Quentin Spain there last year. He's still a free agent, so I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him resigning, especially he's been in Cincinnati this offseason working out at a local gym um, Hmm. where Joe Burrow does. So I wouldn't rule that out, um, but we'll see what the draft brings in terms of them drafting, if they draft another guard. Um, They really do want... They drafted Jackson Carmen in the second round last year, see where he goes. But um, really now, they just need to add some depth to that line. Joe Burrow's out here working out at a local gym in Cincinnati. He's just out in the streets, just like <laughs> hanging out. How it, is that? What you're uh, not me? like, okay, not like local gym, but okay. um, he's out it's like. Lie. No, no, not to why. It's called mm-hmm. a train SB. Um, very athletes go there um, so you can't just walk in there and be like what's up joe i need to no 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 machine real quick. oh absolutely yeah. not mm-hmm. uh so that gym um like drew sample works out there mm-hmm. there's a handful of professionals that work out there together in the off season as someone who watched all of burrow's rookie year and then saw what he was this past year what for the folks who only hopped on the joe burrow bandwagon uh in that with that playoff run but like what did you see that changed for him from year one to year two that you were like oh this is something that he really learned he really got better at outside of just it helps to have a jamar chase uh, out wide that's that's a nice thing um but what did you what did you see specifically that changed with him I would say two things that changed his deep ball. And of course, like you said, it helps when Jamar Chase is there. Mm-hmm. His deep ball improved drastically from his rookie year to year two. Even him hitting guys like T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd in stride as well. But of course, Jamar Chase was his number one there. Um, his deep ball drastically improved. But then two, and not necessarily from year one to year two, but you saw last year him just getting more and more comfortable with his feet, with his Mm -hmm. legs after his injury from the start of the season to the end of the season. Um, And he even said it to the media throughout the season, just how each, like as it progressed, that he was getting more comfortable with his legs and it really did help when he felt the full strength back in them. How serious, though, is it with the knee stuff now where it's like we <laughs> one more like it, the Bengals, have they talked about it? Like, are there people who are pretty involved with what's going on? Because he played. Do we know exactly what he played through in the Super Bowl? And just like are Bengals fans just <laughs> extremely nervous about the state of his knee this early into his career? 
I think there's definitely worry there mm. um, for him, for anybody to tear their ACL, but for a guy like Burrow to have that injury and then you kind of hold your breath each time he gets hit just mm. because you're like, oh, my gosh, you don't want that. And then Bengal fan, Bengals fans kind of have PTSD from Carson, Carson Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. Yes, you knew exactly what I was about to say. Carson Palmer getting hurt. And they just want their guys healthy. And yeah. um, so I would definitely say there is definitely some worry, but the Bengals really are working to make sure that he is stays upright uh, with those additions and – um, just imagine what a guy like Burrow can do with a pocket that's clean and doesn't collapse. I think he might get bored. He likes moving around. <laughs> he likes it might, he, just might be like a game of darts. I'm gonna yeah. just throw it wherever. Well, I mean, it's kind of like Wilson, where he's gonna be behind a better offensive line in Denver this year. But like, mm-hmm. part of the appeal of having a bad offensive line is they could address other needs elsewhere. And Wilson was fast enough, and he was good enough moving around in the pocket that. Hey, he was able to get some cardio in while he's playing right. the game of football. And Burrow, just even at LSU, he likes moving. He likes do. Mm-hmm. He likes creating on the fly. Like he is someone who likes yes. finding guys open that he just dances around a little bit. And there's something. Uh, he's just one of those guys who can play behind a poor offensive line. But you're like, now the injuries. Have, it doesn't matter. You're not playing behind a poor offensive no. line anymore, Joey. You're not allowed. It's, it's not no. fun anymore for us. Exactly. It's not fun. Uh, mm-hmm. We we want Joe to be as healthy as possible so that he can continue to have career seasons and lead the Bengals to winning seasons and hopefully actually bring a Super Bowl back to Cincinnati. Just don't look at the quarterbacks who lost their first Super Bowl and whether or not they got back. Don't look at that stat. I know. Don't look at that. Don't look mm-hmm. at that. Oof. Um, when you see Marquise Hollywood Brown get traded last night and reports uh, going out, it's just he didn't like playing in that scheme, the Greg Roman mm-hmm. style. It was nothing against Lamar and they're still cool, but like, I wonder, because one of the things that people overlooked, I think, coming because I had the Bengals as a playoff team before last year on the pod, mm-hmm. and I was like, I just don't know how many teams are in the league, because I was super in on Burrow, and I watched all of his college stuff at LSU, and being down here in SEC country, like, I was I was all in on the Joe Burrow experience, and I was always pro-Burrow over Herbert and guys like that, but I just, I wondered, I was like, okay, when they're in 11 personnel, I just, with a healthy Boyd, Higgins, and Chase, like, I just the matchups are going to overwhelm too many teams. Like, yeah, there will be some teams who are able to slow that down, but by and large, those three being healthy at the top of their game, it's just they're going to win games. Burrow's going to find them, and they're going to be extremely difficult to stop uh, week after week. And I don't know. Like, you look at Higgins, who could be a number one in a lot of other scenarios, with Brown getting treated because he was upset, and then you look at Debo, and you just look at the receivers. A.J. Brown is more of a money thing in Tennessee, but... By and large, we're seeing a lot more wide receiver movement. We're seeing a lot more teams just try and figure things out in the wide receiver situation. But do you think there's a chance that T. Higgins is looking around the league and he's like, yeah, it's cool to play with Jamar and Tyler Boyd, but like, I can be a number one somewhere. I should probably be paid like a number one receiver. Do you think the Higgins experience in Cincinnati might be coming to a close faster than Cincy fans might be prepared for? Um, I'm not quite sure yet on that. Mm. Um, we'll see. You know, uh, T. Higgins is from Tennessee. He grew up a Bengals. Yes, he grew up a Bengals fan. Um, it's easy for his family to come up here. Mm. But I definitely agree. It's going to come a time when the Bengals are going to have to make a decision on who they want to pay because mm. they've got a lot of guys coming up. Um, of who they want to pay and um. 
it depends if T keeps progressing the way that he is, that he's going to get that top dollar of wide receiver money that a lot of these guys are getting. And it's crazy, these dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, A.J. Brown is getting $100 million in Philadelphia. Like, holy cow. Just <laughs> um, So I wouldn't say yet, um, mm-hmm. but it is, it's a topic of discussion just – moving forward on who is the team going to want to pay especially mm. like chase like are you going to want to pay chase and higgins who are you going to have to sacrifice on um to not pay yeah. because also burrow is probably going to get everything that he wants when his contract uh comes up so you got to pay burrow too so it's going to be a puzzle piece of what who's the team want to pay and the unfortunately for Bengals nation they might have to say goodbye to some of their beloved players because of these decisions yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they take a wide out somewhere Mm -hmm. in this draft i wouldn't either i love uh alec pierce not just biased because of uc you Mm know um but i think he'd make a great fit but i don't i don't know if he's going to be there um for the Bengals if um, they decide to take a receiver. I think Pierce could come off earlier. Um, so we'll see. We'll see on what. Um, but I definitely think corner, defensive line, wide receiver, um, those are three very possible des- um, positions they can attack. Do they say you see more than Cincy? Like, is it not? Is Cincy just what people outside of the area call it, where it's like, yeah, Cincy's in the playoff, but in, <laughs> in at like you see students, they just say like where you see. I've never heard maybe that before. since I'm I am an alum, I say you yeah. see. Um, okay. but I've heard it. I mean, when College Game Day came to campus, mm-hmm. they said Cincy a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you how do you spell Cincy? Oh, C I N C Y. Okay, perfect. Cause do some people do people, something else? Yeah, they do. They instead of a Y, they put an I, like C I N C I, and I'm like, no, Ooh, no, no, <laughs> no. That's if you're gonna do that, you might as well just spell out the whole name. Like that's one of those. Where you're, like no, <laughs> yes, Cincy exactly. with a Y implies that like we're breaking this up and we're doing our own thing. But if you're gonna put the I, then you might as well just go Cincinnati. That's silly. Yeah, exactly. Um. Well, we'll end on this. So clairvoyant Nicole. Where do you think, or who do you think the Bengals draft tonight? Who do you think are the picks tonight for them? I would love, um, and 60, what number? 63, mm-hmm. if, unless they trade up. Um, I would love for them to do a cornerback. I just think okay. that they need to address that. But also, like, the defensive line group in this draft isn't as deep. So, mm-hmm. um, if I had to go cornerback, I would love I don't know if McCreary out of Auburn's going to be there mm. um Kyler Gordon out of Washington I don't know if he's going to be there but those are two guys I really like and then Booth from uh Junior from Clemson is still on mm. the board um first round grade but he's had some medical flags so I'm wondering if that's why he's uh dropping so mm. we'll see with him so those are just three guys I would keep an eye on in the second round D-line wise Love Logan Hall from Houston. Um, don't don't think he will be there though. But we'll see. Um, Travis Jones, Connecticut, um, Winfrey from Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, mm. those guys. We'll see. Um, but um, we'll. I those are the c- kind of corner defensive line tonight. 
There you go. Nicole, what can the good folks check out from you across uh, all Bengals? So um, just all the draft content coming mm. up from team and I um, off season. We have Bengals report for workouts next week, May 2nd. Um, and then, of course, hit the ground running in July. There you go. The season. There is no off season in the There NFL really anymore. no, especially when you go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I was, this that was that was fun though. So um yeah. Love it. Football all year round. I don't think I have to worry about that anytime soon with the Falcons. I think uh, <laughs> another Super Bowl trip is probably a couple years away. Um but hey, we got a wide out. Uh, another wide out in the first round. So shout out to Calvin Ridley for putting us mm-hmm. in that position once again. <laughs> um all things great falconing at all times. Nicole, thank you so much for making the time. This was a lot of fun and we'll have to check back in again soon. Absolutely. All right, we're back here on the Chase Most podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas and one of three Atlanta sports guys on this very podcast where a lot of doom and gloom in Atlanta sports country over the last few days. Uh, Drake London going eight to the Falcons. Max Markovich is still reeling from that. We've got the Hawks season ending this week. Um, just a lot going on uh, in terms of the two, the two big ones in Atlanta. Uh, Garrett, how are you, sir? Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I kind of forgot about the Hawks. I mean, Did you? I've, I've put them, I put them out of my head. Um, no, obviously not. But <laughs> it, it has been. They, I, I kind of, I, I post mortem was mm-hmm. Sunday, and it was over. And then I, I was like, maybe they can take it to six games and kind of at least make it like a an entertaining mm-hmm. series, sort of. I mean, they were never going to win the series once they lost on Sunday. It was over, but. Mm-hmm make it six games, have some pride. And, and then when they had Jimmy Butler was out and everything else and Kyle Lowry was still out and, you know, Hey, maybe we got a shot to, to at least make it six. And no, it was just a miserable, miserable series. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks just, man, what a nightmare. Trey young played about as poorly as anybody could play. And we saw it all season. Like whenever Trey young plays poorly the Hawks lose basketball games and there's just nobody else on this team who can really pick up the slack and uh look I've kind of come around to the idea of picking up a Donovan Mitchell or some other dynamic scorer or somebody else who can do big things with the basketball um, to help Trey Young move off of the off of the basketball and get moving and do everything else so this series showed us a lot about the Atlanta Hawks um and mostly not good things yeah, we'll get to Mitchell and all that in in a second, but I um I don't know. I think I'm just glad it's over. Like this was one of those where the Haw- the Hawks weren't winning anything. I also am curious like with Max, like I was wondering if the Hawks go down and Trey's awesome, like how that affects Trey's off-season mindset. And Trey being awful in this series is actually the best case scenario for the Hawks because I think he's putting this on himself and it's just saying like, I may like, I have to play better. I can't get locked down like that for a whole series. I can't just get overwhelmed in that way. I can't just play that poorly. Cause we've never seen Trey play that poorly over that period of stretch and give a lot of credit to the heat for what they were able to do. But it not just like if this series had been Trey just going bonkers every night and then they still go down in five or six, then we're like, oh, this is doomsday scenario where he's like, I've done all I can do. I uh, like I need help and you got to get me help this summer or I'm asking out where it's like I've done everything. But Trey actually 
having a rough series is like, oh, Trey's like, I got to get better. I got to get back in the lab. I got to fix this. This is on me. And you're like, oh, thank God. If we're going to lose a playoff series like this, Trey actually having a rough go of it is actually going to be the the best thing, best case scenario for the Hawks. Do you do you agree with that, Max? Yeah, I felt like going into this series, there was sort of like a predetermined media narrative of like, mm-hmm. this is going to be the series that we finally say Trey needs like a serious second star. Mm-hmm. And then that narrative like wasn't clean by the end of it because of what you're saying. Like, that was the worst Trey Young's played since his rookie year uh, for in, in a you know in in a consecutive um, you, know, you know a few week stretch. Um, and and I think. I think we'd be freaking out about this a whole lot more if this if this postseason performance had come last year um, instead of you know what actually happened. And so we know this isn't like a, I think there'd be a huge narrative if this had happened last year of um, Trey's game's not built for the postseason. He can't be the guy uh, offensively to lead a serious playoff contender. And it's really hard to um, to start that narrative when you saw what happened last year. And and. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think a lot of credit goes to the Heat, man. Like, that is a really good defensive team. And the way they switched everything on Trey and made his life a living hell frustrated the hell out of him. Um, and he didn't shoot it well, and I think those two things are related. Like, I think it's sort of a cascading thing where if he can't get downhill in the pick and roll and he's sort of bogged down up top um, and he's not willing to move the ball and cut off the ball, which is what he needs to do to get better mm-hmm. – um, then things are stagnant offensively because they can switch every single guy on that court onto Trey and they can at minimum hold their own and most of them bottle them up all series. And I think that has to be a light bulb moment for him of how am I going to combat that? Because you know every team, you know, the Celtics are, are like that. Every team that is built like that is going to try to defend them the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think if we've learned anything from Trey's entire career, it's that he deserves the benefit of the doubt that he's going to figure it out. Because he has, and he said this, he's gotten better every year of his entire life. <laughs> like, he's gotten better through high school, through college, every year in the NBA. And I have no doubt he's going to get better again next year, and I don't worry about Trey. Um, but the rest of the team, man, the roster's in a really weird spot. And, and I think I think what you're saying is right. Like, at the end of Game 5, Trey said, man, DeAndre played great, and I wish we could have won it for him. And mm-hmm. and that is Trey recognizing like, hey man, I didn't play well. Like mm-hmm. this is this is on me. Um, and I think that's a positive. I, I, I Garrett said he'd forgotten about the Hawks. I kind of <laughs> forgot about the Hawks because I emotionally divorced from the Hawks like a month ago, six oh. weeks ago. Um, so I mean like I enjoyed the play in, but I was ready for that to be over. And the way the season ended, that that, that the sideline out of or the the baseline out of bounds play mm-hmm. to end the season is just so perfect for what this year was. Um, yeah. And it's really disappointing, but I'm on to the disappointment of the Atlanta Falcons instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, Garrett, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell, and something that I thought about with the series, uh, Graham Chapel did a lot of great film work over at Peachtree Hoops, so the good folks, if you're looking for like a lot of good uh, film study and insight into what the Heat were doing and throwing at Trey in the series, I would highly encourage you to go check out his stuff. Um, but he highlighted and there were some clips and it's like something I jotted down in my notes of just like the three guys at Trey where Trey's got the ball and he's, you can just tell all he wants to do because he wasn't able to get to the line at all. And part of the reason he wasn't getting to the line is because he couldn't get inside. Like it was just shut off where Tyler hero and guys who we don't even think are that great defenders, the communication from Miami where they just Trey thought he was going to turn a corner. Guess what? 
guy right there and he knew he couldn't turn the corner on anybody and he could like that's the whole frustrating part for trey is like i can get by this guy but i've never been faced with this where there's another guy on both sides and i can't get through so i can't even drive and kick and do the kind of stuff that i want to do and the only way to fix what happened is trey to be an off-ball guy like the way for the hawks to get back in this series was having someone else like a donovan mitchell or whoever to not allow the heat to just be able to show like that and to help the way they did on Trey, where Trey just had nothing. Because if you're sending that much help and you're just completely cutting off his ability to even get inside, that's a game changer. And then he had to settle for all kinds. Like his shot chart in uh, the Sunday game was preposterous. He had like one shot inside and the rest were just deep threes. And that was credit to the heat where like they gave him nothing. And it just... There's nothing you can do. It was just it was it was suffocating, and it had a lot it's to a do. It's a little bit. Well, sorry, it's a little bit defensively like what the what teams did to the Bucks with Giannis. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they're extremely different players, but the way they built a wall and how that really frustrated him. Um, it's it's like kind of the same. And Milwaukee had to adjust by taking Giannis off the ball and playing him more um, in the post and in spots where he could he could take advantage of those touches. And Trey has to learn that lesson too. Like obviously they're polar opposite honestly type of players but you're right like they sort of like walled it off a little bit i don't know if this is what was in the film breakdown but mm. like they had the, the on-ball guy and even if trey got past the on-ball guy they had two guys who were yes like, hard hard helping um and that really pissed off trey and so trey like the only option is that he sits in the offseason and watches steph curry for mm. weeks on that <laughs> I mean, it's easy to talk about Steph and everything. But Steph is, like, the epitome of, like, what everything Trey Young would want to be. Mm. Um, as an undersized guard who just plays off of the basketball and can shoot light, the lights out. I mean, like, that's exactly what he wants to be, and that's exactly what... I'm not going to say what he can do, but that's what his goal certainly is, to be. Um, but, yeah, that, that's stru- the structure of the Miami Heat defense is really what gave him a lot of issues, and it's not dissimilar to what they did all season long to him. Um, mm. I mean, he only averaged, like, what, 16, 17 points per game um, as a pick-and-roll ball handler. I mean, that's not good, uh, compared to, comparatively speaking, to what Trey Young can normally do. Mm. Um and then when you to make matters worse, I mean he's he lives his game is just as a pick and roll ball handler. That's what he does. That's what he does best. And then he lost his two best uh, a combo men. So mm-hmm. you have Clint Capella who misses the first two games and is not a hundred percent, not even close to a hundred percent for games four and five. I mean it, there was just absolutely no way. Um, and then you flip around and you have John Collins who's playing at what fifty percent at best. Then you're taking away that from him as well. So. I don't want to completely come down on Trey Young and just say, hey, no, like, this is, uh, like, throw everything out the window, like, whatever. Like, there, there was a lot of context that's involved in this. But like you guys were saying, I mean, look, there, this is a, a complete example, a perfect example of why he needs help. Because mm-hmm. if you lose one of those guys, which I think one of those guys is going to be gone, uh, and it's probably going to be John Collins, um, just because they just don't fit next to each other with, John, with uh, the way that the Hawks want to play. Um, I just don't think it's it's necessarily you can't really build on what you have. Um, however, um, look, you need another ball handler. You need somebody else who's going to be able to distribute. They thought that, that that's what Kevin Herter could do, or at least become some semblance of that. Mm-hmm. But then when you throw in the fact that Lou Williams was hurt, and Lou Williams is also supposed to be that scoring guard, it was just a comedy of of, of injuries. You know, like the, the team just wasn't what they needed to be. It wasn't what the team was last year because no one was playing. And no one was healthy. 
And and that all of it just came to a head when they played the Miami Heat. It was a terrible matchup for the Atlanta Hawks. Just even at full health, it's a bad matchup. Um, so it, it was a it was just rough. It was rough. It's a learning experience. This is but this is still a young basketball team. I mean, the average age of this team of like the core is still like 22, 23, 24. So they got a long way to go. But Travis Schlink also has a job to think about. So does mm-hmm. Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan is going to be right there at the forefront. He wants to change the, the personality of this team, the personnel of this team. And that's going to happen a lot. So it's, it's going to be a, a, an interesting offseason to follow for the Atlanta Hawks because I want to see what they do. What does that mean, though? What does he – he wants to change the, the team and the makeup and stuff He's, like that. It's like – what does that the even person, mean? I mean, just the personnel. You just need you need a tough guy. This is just a soft yeah. basketball I would, team. I would like to talk about Nate McMillan because Uh-oh. I think no, I, he was out coached in this series. Obviously, mm. it was like painfully obvious. Um, and Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league. And I'm sure you guys read the Chris Kir- Chris Kirshner article um, that had quotes kind of trashing McMillan and the story about Trey not being in the huddle, yada yada mm. yada. And it's I think he needs if he's still the coach, um, he needs to change the makeup of the team because I think the team is pretty immature. Like, mm-hmm. they ran off Lloyd Pierce, and I get it. You know, Lloyd Pierce was certainly by no means a good NBA coach, and they went on that run with McMillan, and now they're tired of McMillan, and it's like a bunch of... Look, it's a young team, um, and a lot of them haven't really, like, been through it, and I, I just found it kind of off-putting to, like, obviously anonymously blame... McMillan for all their problems and and I think what changing the team entails is like putting a a little bit of like veteran accountability in there Mm -hmm. like we talked about Marcus Smart at the deadline can you imagine obviously that was not in play because of the Celtics but can you imagine a guy like Marcus Smart entering this locker room and I I, or Patrick Beverly like what Patrick Beverly did for the Wolves was probably adds a degree of accountability to these guys who hadn't really done anything in the league who were super talented and who needed like a cohesive figure to tell them how to how to how to win um yeah i think that's what changing the locker room looks like and we're talking about the second star and the second star is important but it also is like i think it's almost equally as important to add someone like that into the locker room who's going to hold the players accountable when they would prefer to blame somebody else i mean it looks like adonis haslam I mean, like a guy who's I, just Solomon in your Hill, man. We had Sol- Solomon Hill in here, who Solomon I just, Hill. I think he it's was different an important when it's like guy a, last like year. Like a real contributor, though. But Sol- well, Solomon Hill wasn't the only guy on that team last year either. Like the whole team was just sort of there's something special. But I mean, it, I feel like this is this is going to become some. Uh, they're in danger of becoming what the 2016 Falcons were, where everyone keeps like, oh well, in 2016 they did this and this seemed to work, and it's like, well, that worked then and that's what it worked for in that situation and they caught lightning in a bottle and they let it go and then they just rolled with it um but what they needed they just need they need accountability they need a second star like max said i mean like look you have those things and those things are are exceptionally valuable and they kind of just took it for granted and and ultimately this is a learning experience i mean we're, we're we'll see what happens next year obviously but I mean, I trust what Travis Schlink is doing, and, and I think he's going to make the right decision, and Nick McMillan is still going to be the basketball coach next year. Well, I think, too, there are some exit interview questions, and it's like Capella and Trey are close, based on what I was reading through the tea leaves there, where it's like Capella was not even... Like, he had Trey's back 100%, where he's like, part of being a great player is it takes three to five years. He's like, I was in Houston, I saw it with James, and him having to get through postseason after postseason, and... 
that guy I, I just i get the sense that capella sees trey as his james harden now and that he's he's comfortable they know where each other's gonna be they they they're simpatico in a lot of ways and you can tell that that's just not the relationship he has with collins and the thing about that is collins man he gets these guys he keeps them engaged he's more of a talker he's more of a leader he's more of an energized guy um he talks so much more on defense he just moving on from him is tough because i think the only way to even begin the conversation of a second star is he has to be on the table. Like Capella, I don't think's trade value. Like he's kind of locked into Atlanta anyway, because they don't really have a choice. Now the awkward part is going to be like, if Inyaka and Kongu comes into next season with a jump shot, then it's like Capella, you're playing 12 minutes a night. And like, you're, you're the rim running back up five. Now you're, you're full on Rashawn Holmes now. And I need you to delegate Where do you stick him at the four. Who at the four? Anyako Kongwu. Oh no, no. That's that's we a can't worse put. The spacing would just be probably. I don't think we can handle that. Um, and then just DeAndre Hunter. It's like, do teams see enough of his garbage time stats where they were like, oh, he's got that. He's got it in him. He can uh, he can be a guy for us. We put him in our system and we'll unlock uh, that competitive drive. And uh, he'll really take it. Like I wrote down, it was hilarious. Like how uh because i was watching the local broadcast over the uh the national one which game was it which was the game where where it's already been so long where deandre had like 15 in the first what game was that was that five it was uh, that was game two and then they it was yeah it was he game had another two. one where he had like 15 and then he didn't score the first a damn thing for the rest of the game okay basically it was i thought it was later it was than game, game two. two i want to say i i swear it was uh in atlanta maybe it was game four it might have been game four um but either way he went ice cold and didn't do anything and was just getting his cardio in for the second and third quarter and they were like oh he's still deandre he did something and he missed like an open three and they were and neek was like ah and rathburn was just you could tell that they they really want to talk deandre hunter up and they want to be like man who he was in the first quarter is who he's gonna be he's getting close to unlocking that over a four quarter stretch and it's like Y'all can play that game all you want to. I, I don't want to, but it's also like, I don't, the Hawks getting a second star is going to come down to if teams like Utah want to rebuild because our best asset is our picks. Like that is the number one asset for Atlanta right now is that Travis Schlink has done a great job hoarding first round picks and hoarding his, he has not given up a, the, the kitchen sink. He still has those kind of assets. Reddish is gone though. Gallo's no asset. Bogey's no asset. Capella's no trade asset. It's DeAndre. I don't think it's much of a trade asset. It's Collins, and he just dealt with multiple injuries, and that was not a great way to end his year. I just am so curious to see how they approach this offseason because I think they're going to be kind of constricted because I think a lot of the guys they need to move for a bigger name, their trade value took a dip at the worst possible time. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. All these guys who we thought were uh, some very variation of asset, um, mm. all of them are diminished this year, right? Like, who improved their stock this year? Mm. I would say, Trey. I, I would say maybe a Kongwu is, is, is the same. As I would he say was a Kongwu the is the one who increased his stock the most. I, I don't know if his value is like astronomically higher than. Also, Bogey should be like if you're a contender Bogey and like you don't watch Bogey fifteen games in a row. Like that's Bo- the problem. Is yes. I, so I was thinking about this in terms of like, I thought about Anthony Davis and the Lakers. Like mm. if that became a thing that was possible. Um, mm. Like would and the Lakers would want the type of guys we're willing to give up, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They would they would want guys who can contribute now. They could, they'd want John Collins, 
and Bogey. Um, Bogey, I think Bogey would be a great fit with the Lakers. Mm. Does John Collins, Bogey, and I mean, I'm sure they'd ask for Hunter too. Like, does did the three of them and then all the picks? Like, does that get you Anthony Davis? I'm sure they can get better offers than that. Mm-hmm. And and so you run into the like, okay, they need a star. They need a star. The picks are great. The picks also are going to be like late teens, early twenties for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you're stuck in this situation where there is no single certified like stud asset, and that really holds you back in these discussions where other teams will come in with with one of those guys. Um, I don't know. Mm. The, the, the Hawks are kind of stuck. <laughs> Uh, are they are they in the in danger of of becoming what the that I know that the Hawks went on that what was it the second longest active streak of, for, of going to the playoffs or, or whatever but they never made it out of the second round but once mm-hmm. and the Joe Johnson Josh the Smith. Joe Johnson D- Josh Smith era like Al whatever Horford. Al Horford really I, it's the Al Horford era really if mm-hmm. we think about it but I mean I don't think that that's where we are. I don't think I think that we are I, I still think that we can see improvement from a number of these guys. I'm not mm-hmm. ready to cut bait. Just completely cut bait. DeAndre Hunter stock went down. And like I, what I was saying earlier is like the uh, of anybody who who raised their stock on this team or actually got better this season objectively, you have Nyeko Kongwu and you have Trey Young. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's it. Nobody else got better this year. Um at least in our eyes. Um the, the but at the same time, but I'm not I'm not ready to cut bait on these guys unless unless of course there is a big fish on the table, but I, it, it, they're in a weird situation and that's why Travis Schlink is going to have to work something out. I don't know what he's going to do, but I think he's going to have to go get like a guy who's a smaller market guy. I don't think Anthony Davis is, is going to be a viable option. Mm-hmm. You're going to because Anthony Davis isn't going to be the number two um, on this team. Like if you're going to get an Anthony Davis, you, you're going to get the Anthony Davis and you're going to make him your number one. Um, I don't think he's necessarily the guy that you want either because you have a Clint Capella and Clint Capella is going to be here to stay I and mean, he's staying and well, Anthony Capella Davis doesn't really that, do much for deal. you. Like I don't think, be... I don't think they would want Clint Capella. I don't deal. think Capella's getting moved. I think Trey he's gonna is be probably, here. I guarantee you there's like a conversation where Trey's like, I want Capella here. Like, but it's I gotta be a wing. Capella. You're getting yeah. a wing or you're getting a, a ball handler. But and those are the only that, two have stars a, that you're trading for. You have for. to have a conversation about maximizing assets. And we had this with uh, Hunter and, and Reddish. We talked about mm-hmm. this forever with Hunter and Reddish. Mm-hmm. And it turns out maybe neither of them is an asset. Um, <laughs> But we had this conversation about them, about how if you don't open up opportunities, you can't maximize their value. How mm-hmm. We need to have that conversation with Kongu too. Like, Trey might love Capella, and that's great. But you're really suppressing what Kongu could be if you're not giving him a chance to take that over. And, yeah. and I, But I'm not even disagreeing with that. I just don't think it's realistic with the backstage politics. Like, I just – I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. That's going to be a tough sell for a veteran like Capella and if – Capella has Trey's blessing. Like, no, you're my starting five until. But Trey Young's also. You're, we're running into dangerous situations where, where Trey Young doesn't dictate team moves. Oh, are we sure about that? At Absolutely this point? no, because you see what happens when players dictate team moves. You run into the Brooklyn Nets and you run into the the L.A. Lakers. I mean, I'm not disagreeing that it backfires from time to time. What I'm saying no, is, are we sure that Trey Young time. this summer? The only time like, it doesn't backfire is when it's LeBron James. And then he's and then he leaves your team desolate as he moves on to his next. I mean, he still won a title for, passage. for Cleveland. Yeah, it's also LeBron James. Yeah, I, but I what mean, I'm saying Travis is like, Schling, still, 
I, I'm not tying everything that I do as an organization to what my star wants to do. Regardless I mean, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. What I am saying is, like, I don't know if that's actually how it works in the back, well, like, with the power brokers and yeah, Trey's and also camp. If Trey, like, if Trey yeah. Young left, we'd be irrelevant. Like, that's Correct. Yeah, of course. He has all the power. So if Trey's that's why like, you talk to Aaron Rodgers before you trade Devontae Adams. I mean, it's the same thing, but it's like at the end of the day, it's like they still traded Devontae Adams, you know? And because it, because you got to do what's best for the organization, and if trading Clint Capella is what's best for the organization, regardless of what Trey Young desperately wants or whatever, you got to do it. Like we'll what see. Max was saying, we got to let if we if we think Nyeko Kongwu can take the, his game to the next level, but he needs more minutes, and Clint then Clint, if Clint Capella's in the way, you move Clint Capella. We're also not even sure is Trey going to sign off on being an off-ball guy and splitting up his usage. Like, is Trey going to be okay with? slipping down all nba standings because if you bring in a donovan mitchell that clouds his all-star stuff that clouds his role it clouds his impact I mean, it clouds well his you can convince him it's very put... simple yeah if okay. you go to trey and say hey man like we can get donovan mitchell do you want to be third team all nba or do you want to actually try to win a title yeah but what do you think trey or says you can that? be or you can be steph curry who, who <laughs> elevated his game to to un- first ever unanimous mvp yeah, because also, he played I, off ball i think there's a there's a real argument that it would actually increase trey like yeah. efficiency wise if he because beca- he's he's a caliber of shooter of like he could be a 40 percent three point yeah. shooter just in terms of like if he took better shots didn't mm-hmm. so if he got easier looks and learned how to be a better catch and shoot three point shooter like it could help him can i tell you my my dark or my uh behind the scenes guess on what they do yeah, what? I think Jordan Poole is who they trade for. I think oh Poole's played God. himself out of Golden State, <laughs> and I think that's who they trade for. There's no way in hell. What, what no are you going to trade? You're, There's no chance. Then yes, you're buying no. high on a guy who's probably already hit his ceiling. No, you're, no, no. Don't You say can't. That. His ceiling is best player of all time, so we, we haven't really oh. yet. <laughs> I'm going to say Jordan Poole is a hawk next year. That's you know, it could be fun. It could That could be fun. That could be fun. I will give you that, back. but I'd, I would, I would. Who do you, who do you trade for? For I would who do you trade for? Arena. Uh, it's probably Anyeka, is or DeAndre Hunter. One of those two are, are in the deal. I don't think Golden State's letting Jordan Poole leave. I'm just going to say that right now. They don't have a choice. Like they're already maxed yes, out. Like the, his price no, tag is no, they don't. I, I've I've gone through it because yes. I was, I've also thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wiggins Wiggins' deal is up after next year, so mm-hmm. if they just hold off on the pool extension, that's. But what I'm saying is, Poole is not going to sign perfectly. off on that. He wants to get extended this summer. He's like, you I'm Jordan paying Poole me now. after all that organization's done for him. Yes, gonna he's going to be like, pay me now. Yeah, of course. Chance. Yeah, yeah. Zero th- those those players, the players want to get paid. They got to maximize yes, their. He their does potential. not care he's, one bit about. He's like, not going to risk after the playoffs he's had this year. I'll put any after the playoffs he's had. No, he's getting an extension. The Terry Rozier thing, where he's like, "No, I'm going to Charlotte and no, getting the bag. Like I'm out of here. Get that bag, man. Rozier. Get that bag. I encourage him. Look, these guys. Th- this guy has a he, Jordan Poole. No, Hawk. You heard it There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that he will ever be able to recreate what he did this year. I would trade Trey for Jordan Poole. You would trade who? Trey Young. For oh, okay, Poole. that's enough. I mean, Ultimate I just, heat check. Um, the how Falcons. Old is, how they, old is he, by the way? So no, twenty-two. Pool. Pool's twenty-two. Yes, sir. Is he that young? Wow. Sh- yes. Um, the defense cool. with those two in the backcourt would just be absolutely awesome. Might as well trade awesome. for Donovan Mitchell. He's he's like a low end Donovan. He's a poor man's Donovan Mitchell. But I just don't know Donovan if I want Mitchell's my locker room leaders being Donovan Mitchell <laughs> and Trey Young. I just. Oh man, I I'm don't with you know. on that. Actually, I can we I just, just... get Clay Thompson like 2.0, please, and just please. That just scares me so much. Putting those two as your lead, I just I'm with you on that. I I, I think that's a real thing too. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, my prediction. Mm. My prediction is is the big move is Rudy Gobert. 
Oh, big. Mouth. I don't see that. Speaking of chemistry, <clears throat> goodness gracious! Can you like players around the league already get frustrated dealing with Trey on a night-to-night basis? If they have to deal with an in-game I'm of not Rudy Gobert and Trey, oh my god. See, oh that's, that's the all. issue. The thing is, if we have a we have Clint Capella, who's, I'm not comparing mm. their defensive prowess necessarily, but when you have a big man who is like a, a, a stud defensive big man, you still need some perimeter guys who can actually take some heat off of him. Clint Capella, mm-hmm. I, I think if you add a better perimeter defender outside of just DeAndre Hunter or whoever else that we had, he's going to get infinitely better. I mean, like Clint Capella, Clint Capella still has another level that he can take his defensive prowess up to i mean can it's just he? when he has to ah, yeah it's just I that mean, he's okay. the way he moves and the way he has to defend players it's i think yeah but he's also not as big as rudy gobert um no. so we'll see i don't know i think i, I the, just think clint capella is going to be the center next year i'd be surprised if he's not i mean i agree with you on that front like being that just clouds the Inyeka thing that's why i'm just so curious to see how the summer hand is handled because this, this yeah, is this is probably this is decisions. this is the most important summer we, I think we said this. We said this in the on the podcast, like in March or something. We also it was like, said this last summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this season, this season also, they upped the stakes a little bit. Yes, um, because they well sucked. Yeah, it, it updated. It's do just or because, die. Yeah, this is it, do or yeah, die. Yeah, this is do or die. This is this is either you live in mediocrity because you got your star finally. Well, Trey's what do you out. Do with it? If we have this kind of season next year, this is it. Like this is the swan song for Trey. If we have the same kind of season next year, that's it for Trey. Trey's gone. Didn't you mm. just sign the Supermax? Yeah, like, that doesn't matter. They, they, I know yeah. it doesn't, I mean, but, like, what does it even mean? Can we just what do Trey for Zion mean? now? Can we just go ahead and oh get a head God. start? <laughs> Dude, Z- talk about leadership. Would you want Zion? Zion and Trey as your two leaders would be... Yeah, I would want uh, Zion. Just putting that out there. I mean, I want Zion, of course. I would, no, too, I would be Trey. so good, but then you got to go get... If you get Zion Williamson, you need to go get, like, a Pat Bever, like what Max was saying. Like, you need one of those... Can we see Zion on the court for 100 games yet? Like, can we just get there? I'm taking the risk. He doesn't want to be in Orleans. He just, just doesn't want to be in New Orleans, man. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, quickly, on the Falcons, they take Drake London at eight. No, None of us had Drake London being the guy there. Um, I thought it was going to be Stingley, and then Stingley goes three to the Texans in a gigantic surprise. And right after us, big run on receivers. Every Ohio State guy <laughs> goes Wilson, Olave, and then Jameson before he transferred to Bama, but original Ohio State guy. But I don't know. This was uh this is a shocker and I just I don't know what the Hawk or the Hawks. I don't know <laughs> what Terry Fontnot and Arthur Blank have discussed about where they see the team year to year. Because I would love to get a real answer on where they like this pick does not make sense unless you think you can bounce back way faster than everyone else seems to think you can. I don't know. What do you think? I, I disagree with that assessment. Okay. I think I think the fans are freaking out way too much about all of this. Like, I, first of all, the pick is whatever. Like, mm. I, you know, the board shook the way it did. They took the best player on their board. I think Drake London's a really good player, and I think he's. I don't know if you've watched that much of his film, but like, mm. he's not the player that I thought he was. Uh, when people I've seen like, a lot oh, of Mike Evans comps. Mike Evans, it's like he's, he's, a, he's a Evans. lot tougher than Mike Evans. He's not Mike though. Evans. Like he's he's he's, much, he's more fluid. Like he's mm-hmm. but he's also not as like physical. He he played mostly in the slot until this past year. Mm. Um, point anyway. Point is, I, I think the fans are like, there's no plan. There's no plan. I think there's there's more of a plan now than there has been in five years. Like yeah. what are we even talking about? The, the plan is the teardown, and the teardown means tearing it down to the studs. And mm. you know what? I'm I'm. 
I, my friend texted me like, oh, at least we can tune out the Falcons for the next 24 months. No, I'm more <laughs> motivated about the Falcons than I have been in, in years because there's fine, they finally admitted like this, we're done with that era and we're starting over. And you start over from a place of you can build whatever you want. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I'm not too pleased with like going receiver at eight after you went receiver-ish last year at well, four. Well, do you think and- they go receiver if Calvin Ridley doesn't get banned? I don't know, but I also don't know if they go receiver if those corners or the or the top four edge guys are on the board. You know, like yeah. I think it's just kind of how it shook out, and and I don't yeah. begrudge them for that. Um, not over the moon about it, but uh, but I think there's a clear plan. The plan is to suck. The plan is to really really suck. And guess what? That's going to put you in a good spot because if you bring in a Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, let's say next year, and you have your quarterback, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Calvin Ridley question mark is a great place like a good infrastructure to put around that quarterback and you can just build and build and build and and tonight's really important tonight is really 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 important but the plan is all right we have nothing let's build a foundation and I would rather just find Charles Cross then just draft another tackle I'm with you I'm with you well I think I think that's I don't know I I don't I I don't know nothing about Charles Cross to say like (laughs) I just want more off like I just want the offensive line to be secure before we even address other skill talent or position like I just until we address that and I'm like we've got it like whoever our next quarterback is is walking into a situation where the offensive line is good and we are secure there I just I don't know I feel like it's just uh the wrong order of operations well there there are other guys that we can draft I mean just because we didn't take somebody in the first round doesn't mean yeah. that's that's the thing that everybody freaked out. So I was up at Flowery Branch four picks last night. tonight. You have four picks tonight. Mm. Prime picks in the top eighty-two selections. That's I think I think that's around the most at, at least for day two. I think well, we, we have, have the most selections. Because one of those is going to be like Desmond Ritter or Malik Wells. <laughs> maybe actually, or maybe a Matt Corral. Or I'm going to lose my mind if they're right about that. I'll be pissed about it. I am I'm not. Gonna I'm not going to be thrilled irate. if they need to continue to build around the football i it, mm-hmm. they're gonna take if they don't take two edge guys or two defensive line guys mm-hmm. tonight i might be uh i might i will be upset i'll be upset about that but going back to drake london i i think max you you were kind of going towards it where it's like they were completely tearing down and starting from the studs and it's not a talent thing or anything like that i think they're what they're trying to do we talked about this with the hawks they're trying to change the mental makeup of this football team and that was the thing that we that that Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith were talking about last night up at Flowery Branch. Like, he brings toughness. He's a dude who who has the character of of a guy that they want on this team. A guy who's going to punch you in the mouth if he needs to. And he's a big guy. He's a big target. He's versatile. He can do anything. He can go in motion, which is stuff that Arthur Smith really likes to do. But at the end of the day, it's his mental makeup. It's the thing that that he's a guy that you can build around on offense. And and that's just what they that's what they need. They didn't have any of that last year, outside of a rookie in Kyle Pitts. And then mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley is done. He is not going to be an Atlanta Falcon next year. I mean, it's it, it's he's gone. He's gone. He, I, I've just already cut bait on him. Well, I personally changed his key card, so we're good. <laughs> but but look, at the end of the day, like they they wanted to change the mental makeup of this football team, and I think they're trying to do that with with a guy like Drake London. And they still have the ability to address. Tons of needs. I mean, look, Rome, I wrote about this last night. Rome was not built in a day. 
They have way too many needs on this team, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, so you might as well take the best player on your, your board who fills a significant need. You can still fill those other needs. I mean, look, you've got like Zach Pascal, Enic Barry, all, all these other guys, you, Ajab, David Ojabo, all of these guys who can fill the pass rushing needs. You can take two of them today. You can then go get like a Jamari Sawyer or something like that who can fill the offensive guard or maybe even slide out and play tackle. I mean, there are there's tons and tons of talent today. The Atlanta Falcons are going to get better today because they have that many holes. Um, and then it's going to continue to open up next year, and they're, and they're going to get some free agency acquisitions, add some more depth and veteran leadership, and then they're going to hit the draft next year because they're going to suck this year. And then they're going to take a guy in the top five, whether that's a quarterback or maybe a Will Anderson or something, and they're going to be better next year. And But I trust, like Max, like what you said, there is a vision here. You just got to trust the process. You got to let it unfold. People are overreacting to the, 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 the whole sum of the NFL draft after one pick, and it blows my mind. I also I also think if you squint hard enough, like you can see the vision of what they want this offense to be. Like I I don't think it's beyond like you can see how they want this this team to play. And like Arthur Smith built that entire Titans offense essentially around AJ Brown and what he could do and how the way he threatened defenses. And I'm not saying Drake Drake London's AJ Brown like he's he's a different receiver, but like they want to be sort of a run first team and you can see it on play action with your two versatile behemoth weapons who can catch anything and you put stress on defenses that way and and like they're just going to kind of keep adding to that and like that is one compartmentalized part of the vision right but like you can see the philosophy behind it and i think it's just so ridiculous this this rebuild's going to be a long 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 rebu- rebuild if every single turn is like well what's the vision here like mm-hmm. they're gonna go three and 14 this year and everyone's gonna say is the worst gm and coach in franchise history blah, blah. just take a breath like wait till if you're not if, if you don't have the the capacity to like see through this rebuild like take a break like this year is gonna be bad people, the people are also, on cbs look also people are undervaluing how freaking screwed this roster was when he, they walked into this. 100%. This, they were in cap hell. They had been in cap hell for years. But the very worst, the, the only thing worse than being in cap hell is being in cap hell and sucking. This was a team that had lost two, had two consecutive losing seasons. Well, three consecutive losing seasons after the season that they, they got fired. And then they brought in a new staff. Look, you got to rip it all out and it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. But look, you just got to get through it. And I think that there is a vision. There is a vision. Having said that, if they spend two of their four picks tonight on, like, Desmond Ritter and Kenneth Walker, like, I won't be happy about that. No. Um, I do no. think they're going running back either round two or round three. I would not be surprised oh, if it's Walker or I don't, don't want to see I would, running back. I really don't want to do that. I just the, think it's going to happen. If like, it's, if you Walker, need to if it's Walker, I'd be okay with it if he falls to the third round. If I get him in the third, I'm fine with it. Just because he's a tough, tough runner who fits what Arthur Smith wants to do. No, I, I put Hall in the second round. I think that's I, I Brees Hall. Yeah, I think, but it's just such a waste. Like yeah. taking a running back now, if we're going to do the long rebuild, it's like by the time it's the Saquon Barkley thing, where the Giants took Saquon, still doesn't make any sense to me. Well, they took him, and they the team wasn't ready. Like they were going to no. be bad for a while, and it's like you don't take Saquon when you're not like you take a Clyde Edwards Hilaire when you're the Chiefs, 
and you've already like you're just like oh we'll just throw him into the mix and maybe he'll even get us to that next gear that's when you take a running away from the first yeah, like, what, you're what's like, the point of having everywhere. a closer if you don't even get to it correct you know? that's what i'm saying so it's like i don't think there's any point in us drafting and burning running back years when there's only a couple before they fall apart anyway so it's like there's no point if we're not contending and we're not really playing for anything we don't need to draft a running back anytime soon um yeah go ahead max I was just going to say, if I can have one prediction for tonight, yeah. I think the Falcons trade Grady Jarrett tonight. Ooh. Tonight's the night it happens. I, I think they trade him. I think they get like a late second or early third, and I think that's that. And we move on. That's extremely depressing. I think that, it's yeah. kind of weird no one's really talking about that. Like, I, I think it's all borderline inevitable. It feels that way. It kind of does. I, I could also see Debo Samuel getting traded today. That could also be a very I don't very know. I think they missed thing. the boat. Like, the first round Yo, stuff was like not the a time to trade talent. him. He's not. No, I'm saying. I, well, I'm saying like the Jets offered a big time package for him in the first round, but now that the first round's passed, those picks aren't yeah, just available picks anymore. I don't think he's getting moved anymore. I think it's mm-hmm. over. Like Maybe. I think if you were gonna do it, you do it before round one, so that teams can, could like take him and not. If you trade Grady Jar- Jarrett, you're really, really committing to sucking next year. What's the difference? You're really committed. Well, they don't. They don't yeah. commit. They're just gonna be bad either way. Like you don't have a choice. Also, yeah. the <laughs> but the thing is, are... if you trade. The option to trade him or extend him. Yeah. And those are yeah. there, there are costs for both of those, right? Like that's not mm. I just feel terrible because about... they don't want to get married to a con a bad contract. Not He's saying not a bad that contract. That man No, gonna... but no, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the, this is a team that's gonna suck for a while. I would just like to you suck have to and pay have Grady Jarrett. Like can we He's a big Grady... leader for this team. He's a guy Thomas who... Dimitrov would pay Grady Jarrett, I'm just saying. Thomas mm-hmm. Dimitrov would pay Grady Jarrett. Twenty-five million dollars or some ridiculous sum of money. I mean, it's just because. Hold on. No, he would. People do... are going too far now. He did it. Thomas. No, no, Hold because on. he the man he... put together a Super Bowl roster. He Thomas Dimitrov got a lot of crap. Yeah, but, no, but he give did me some Thomas by... love he because did part by... of he got screwed with the salary cap changing. The salary the cap going not... down significantly. That hurt him. He was not expecting that. The COVID stuff was a problem, but no, Thomas was still a great GM for a long time. He built the roster. He by made some good decisions. A handful of super high end players on the roster and hoping that they all stay healthy and yes. they're all in their prime and that's mm-hmm. that's a very like high risk high reward proposition and he got both of them right yes. he got the reward and now we are where we are we're reaping the but if he gets that yeah. if we don't collapse if 23 doesn't happen he's no it's just, worth it yeah yeah no, it's I, all worth it yeah i don't think he was like a bad gm but he yeah. definitely put this put us in this position yeah he screwed. definitely kicked the can too far down the road on matt ryan he did he he made too many mistakes and look there's a reason he's not in the nfl right now well it could be worse you could be the raiders where they did not pick up the fifth year option on any of their first round picks from that year Those that is are incredible. insane did, insane well i mean was it clinton farrell or whatever it's farrell it Jacobs, and um but the year before was rugs, rugs and arnett yes but then on top of but we also have multiple drafts where not a single one of our guys that we picked are is even in the nfl anymore like we we have that we, we yeah. he had he, the highs were high not and the that lows early, were that's pretty a lot of misses no, early yeah. that's it uh. in one draft um well that's all i've got max has got to go garrett Thank you as always, Chief Chap ATL. Go listen to the game if you're a local 929, or you can listen on the app. You can listen anywhere. Uh, Max Markovich, you can find me on Twitter at Max underscore Markovich. Guys, we'll maybe be happier next week, depending on what the Falcons do over the weekend. I don't know. O- we'll see. Ojabo at 43. You have what? Ojabo at 43 in case you Terry's just, listening. The Michigan stuff. The Michigan no, stuff. It never stops with you. Stuff. It's not the Michigan stuff. He's going to be an elite pass rusher okay, that's, next year. I would. Can we just see him on the field? Um, Max, Garrett, thank you as always, and I'll talk to you very soon.
All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to Max, to Garrett, to Nicole, to Ryan, to Ethan for all coming on this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed the show as well. Um, All kinds of great guests and all kinds of great content on this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Saturday, April 30th, 2022 edition. If you enjoyed today's show and you have not already done so, you know what I'm going to ask. Just go ahead and hit that pause button right now and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show and helps this show continue to grow. Also, go ahead and check us out on YouTube, youtube.com, The Chase Most Podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Never miss any of our video content, all kinds of great stuff on that front if you would prefer to watch any of our stuff. So, Chase Most Podcast right there. That easy, that simple. Go ahead and check that out today. Follow the professional uh, podcast account, uh, Pod Chase Thomas. That easy, that simple to remember. Just... You type in the Chase Most Podcast on Twitter and you'll find it. Um, but yeah, just go ahead and do that today. Uh, email this very program at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, that uh, that's all I've got for the moment. Um, new episode tomorrow per usual. And you guys have yourself a fun little Saturday. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.